Well, hello, everybody. I am so happy you're here. My name is Nate, if I haven't met you. And this is my new piece of attire that I carry with me everywhere. And I have yet to find anybody who enjoys this except for one five-year-old because he said it made him look like a bandit. <laughs> Couldn't we all have that mentality, right? So things are changing. I, I understand. Here's, here's kind of how I've resolved this is... Um, teachings of Jesus, and in particular the New Testament, talk so much about loving one another. It's just tremendous emphasis. And so every time I pick this on and feel like I can't breathe, I think I'm choosing to love someone right now. <laughs> now, I don't have it on because I'm talking, but I'll put it on as soon as I'm done. Uh, you guys, I'm happy you're here. I know there are a lot of people who are joining us online. And for the first time ever, uh, we were at this place over the last few months where we have far more people who are online than in person. And this is what we talk about. We talk about we are one congregation or one community, whether that would be in your living room, in your different state, or if you're right next door and you're tuning in or in the room. So we're all together and we very much like that. It's going to be a beautiful thing. God does good things through difficult circumstances. So this weekend, I am very, very honored to be introduced to, to be able to introduce to you a speaker, um, I bet it was about a decade ago. I've been a pastor for maybe 15 years. And I felt like there was a, a gap in my understanding and my capacity to understand the Bible. And I, I'd done all the schooling, I'd done graduate school, all of those things. But I just consistently felt like there was something missing, that there were cultural issues I wasn't I wasn't aware of, and it hindered me from understanding what the Bible is saying. There were geographic issues. There were linguistic issues. And so I began to search out people who I could learn from. And there were a number of people who contributed, and I'm still learning from today. And one of those people was a guy named Brad Gray. And as I sat and began to listen to his teaching, there was just these lights that went on in my mind. I thought, Oh my goodness, that's brilliant. I've read that so many times, but because I wasn't aware of a cultural issue or I wasn't aware of what was happening, the geographic issue that was happening there, I missed out on some of the richness in this particular verse. So for the last 10 years or so, I've been learning from him and I wanted him to come out and be able to expose all of us to some of his teaching. And so last year we tried it, and the dates didn't work out. This year we tried it, and it looked like our friend COVID was going to interrupt. But his family, he has four great kids, his wife Shallon, they pressed through. They're going to hit Yellowstone after this service. They're from Tennessee. So we're just hoping they see, like, bears and moose. You know, all the great, the great Wyoming, Montana experience. So would you welcome, in my opinion, one of the best young theologians that we have in the United States of America today, my friend, Brad Gray. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate it, friend. Uh, good morning, everyone. So good to be with you. This has been such a joy for me and my family to be in your great state of Montana, and I've had a chance to be here since Friday. So I got to do some things Friday evening, Saturday morning, got to obviously do the service last night and this morning. And so one of the great joys that I have is getting to travel around the country and speaking at churches and conferences and that sort of a thing. And because of these experiences, I can walk into a church place and within a very short period of time get a pretty good sense of what's going on there. 
And every so often you walk into a church context and you go, wow, something special is happening here. And that is definitely the case with all of you, a part of Faith Chapel. And so this is a joy for me to be part of this. And when I found out that you all were doing this picture Bible series, I got on the phone with Nate and I said, okay, man, what passages and stories are you tackling? And so he ran me through a number of them. And then I just said, hey, is anybody taking Balaam and the talking donkey? And he goes, nope. And I said, Perfect, because we're going to have some fun with this strange story. Because here's one of the things that I have found. The stranger the story, the stronger the point. And this is a strange story. So we are in for some fun this morning. It's a story that takes place in Numbers chapter 22. And so if you want to follow along, feel free to follow along. I'm going to have the passages up here as well. And so let me give you the context of this particular story. Israel has just spent roughly 40 years in the desert. They're just concluding their time. Moses is still leading them, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're going to enter the promised land from the east, east of the Jordan River Valley. And God says to Moses, I want you to skirt the area of Edom, Moab, and Ammon. Like, leave those people alone. Don't take their water. Don't take their food. Skirt their areas. And the reason for this is because these three people groups claim distant connections to Israel through Abraham. And so they skirt and are obedient to God. And as soon as they get into this area, a group by the name of the Amorites attack the Israelites. And Israel defeats them in a few battles. And then from there, they go to the north and they fight a battle against Og, king of Bashan. And so after these battles have been won, everybody knows about the Israelites. And the Israelites then settle on what is called the Plains of Moab. It's a stretch of land going from the north end of the Dead Sea, about 10 miles from there. It's this big flat area just east of the Jordan River. And the issue is, is that once Israel has settled here on the Plains of Moab, up in the mountains, you have the king of Moab by the name of Balak. And Balak isn't convinced that the Israelites are just going to enter into the land of Canaan. He's thinking that they're going to turn around, go right back up into the hills, and attack him and his people. So the dude is terrified. And he hatches a plan. It's a preemptive strike, if you will, to... Go after the Israelites. So check out what the plan is, beginning here in verse 4. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse 
is cursed. So Balak's master plan is to hire an internationally renowned prophet to come and curse the Israelites. Now we are told that this dude's name is Balaam and he's in a place called Pethor. And that is 450 miles away from where the king of Moab is. That is a long way in the ancient world. And so Balak is going to summon Balaam. Now here's what is so riveting about an archaeological discovery that was found in 1967 in Jordan. It's called Derala, but it's the ancient biblical site of Sukkot. That here at this area, this inscription was found talking about this Balaam who's connected to our story three to four hundred years after his death. Like the dude was internationally known. And based on how the story plays out, we see kind of a three-facet aspect to what Balaam is capable of doing. He is on the one hand a prophet, and a prophet in the ancient world was understood to be someone who had a connection to the gods, could communicate or understand the will of the gods. He's also a seer, and a seer was someone who could predict or see the future. And the way that the ancient pagan world engaged in seer activity is that they would look at bird signs or they would cast lots, dice, or they would cut open an animal and examine its liver and somehow out of this they would be able to go, oh, we know what the future is going to be and they would speak that. But additionally, he's also what we would term a sorcerer And we see that most evidently in what Balak is asking Balaam to do. Because a sorcerer was understood to have some kind of intrinsic power to be able to throw blessings or curses and impact the future or impact a people group. Now I know for all of us that that seems really odd and bizarre and strange. But this is how they thought and understood in the ancient world. And so this is what Balak is doing. He is hiring Balaam, this pagan prophet for hire. And it seems like a good idea from his perspective, at least in how the Hebrew language communicates this, because Balaam's name in Hebrew is Bilam, and it literally means devourer or destroyer of a people. And Balak is like, that's the dude that I need for this task. And so we read on from there. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So he's got some understanding of the God of Israel. He believes he's going to be able to hear or interact with the God of Israel. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. 
Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Now, when God is saying like these people are blessed, don't throw curses at them. God is actually drawing from an earlier story that we get in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to a man by the name of Abram, who you will later know as Abraham. And God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your land and family and go to the land that I will show you. And then God says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what God is doing here is God is trying to restore the world to himself. And God has this plan in place to restore all things. And the way that God wants to reach all people is by choosing a people, Israel, to pour his blessings into so that they in turn would bless the entire world. And so God has said to Abram, listen, I am with your people, your descendants, and if anybody curses them, I'm going to have to deal with that. And so when God is saying to Balaam, do not throw curses against these people, God has already shown that he has great compassion and care for the people of Ammon and Moab and Edom because he's already told Moses and the Israelites, don't even take anything from their land. I care for them as well. And so God says this to Balaam. Well, Balaam then tells the delegation, I can't do it. They travel the 450 miles back to Moab and they report to Balak and they say, Balaam's not coming. And Balak goes, that is unacceptable. He says, all right, we're going to send a more distinguished delegation this next round. And he essentially says, let Balaam know I've got a blank check for him. Whatever the cost is going to be, I will pay it. Just come and curse these people. And so the more distinguished delegation goes another 450 miles up to Petor. And they report to Balaam what Balak has said. And notice now what Balaam's response is to the second delegation. But Balaam answered them. Well, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. A little tension here. It seems like he is very pious and he's going to be obedient to God. And so he says, ah, if I'm given all the silver and gold, that's not going to change my decision. But... Just hang out here for a little bit. Let me go back to God and see if God's got anything else he'd like to tell me. I.e., I hope God changes his mind. I have a blank check on the table. And so, this is what then happens. It says, that night God came to Balaam and said, Well, since these men have come, and come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. 
but God was very angry when he went. Are you confused right now? Yes, I'm seeing your heads go like this. Yeah, exactly. Like, it feels like God is a bit schizophrenic here. Go, don't go, go, but now I'm angry that you went. And you go, God, what, what is going on here? And the answer is found in the language. So in verse 12, with that first delegation, God said to Balaam, do not go with them. And then in verse 20, God said, go with them. In our English, we have with them and with them, but in Hebrew, it's actually two different words. The first time when God said, Balaam, do not go with them, with them is one word in Hebrew, it's the word imahem. And imahem means both physically and mentally. Meaning, if you were to go physically, you also are going mentally, meaning you're going to fulfill the desires of Balak. And God said, I don't want you to go with them. I don't want you to go physically. And then again, I don't want you to go mentally, meaning don't go to fulfill their desires. But now the delegation has come back, a more distinguished one, And Balaam is coming back to God and going, you sure about this, God? And then God says, go with them. It's actually the word etam, and it means physically, but not mentally. It's like God saying, well, dude, it seems like you're already going to go. So, yes, go, but don't go to fulfill the desires of Balak. And so God says, okay, go ahead. But then it says, but God was very angry. And you go, okay, so if God said it's okay to go as long as he goes physically but not mentally, then now is, why is he very angry? The answer then comes with another key Hebrew word here. It's the word that gets translated into our English as went, which is a really great translation, by the way. But let me show you the Hebrew word behind this. It's the word halak. Let me hear you all say halak. Chalak. All right, so there you go. You got your Hebrew in for the day, right? A Hebrew a day. There you go. And you've got this word halak, which often gets translated as to live or to go. Again, a great translation in the past tense went. But it most emphatically or most literally means to walk. And so the reason why you can have a translation that says to live or to go, but it actually means to walk, is because the understanding was in the ancient world that how you walked was an indication of how you lived, and how you lived was reflected in how you walked. It's why thousands of years later we say things like, hey, walk the talk. If you say you're going to live this way, Well, then walk it out. And so the reason why God is angry is how he is walking, how he is living. It seems like he is going with ulterior motives and God is going to deal with this. And you go, why do we say ulterior motives? Well, one of the things that we do when we study the scriptures and we have a story like this is we always ask the question, Is there any other place in scripture where this story is referenced and how is it being viewed there? 
And what we find is in the New Testament, Jesus' chief disciple, Peter, writing one of his letters, actually refers to this story. And he's actually, in his own context, talking about false prophets. And he's warning people of his day about false prophets. But he connects the false prophets to Balaam. Check this out. 2 Peter 2, 14-15. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. And God is going to need to intervene. And this is how he does it. But God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. So this angel of the Lord character actually shows up quite a few times in scripture. And the angel of the Lord comes with the authority of God. And in some cases it's like, well, Moses is at the burning bush and there's the angel of the Lord. But then in the next moment it says, and God is speaking. So somehow in some way... It's either the embodiment of God or it's an angel that comes with the full authority of God. Stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, "Uh, What have I done to you? To make you beat me these three times. Now let's just pause for a moment. Because as adults, when we're reading stories in scripture, and all of a sudden a donkey starts talking, we're a bit skeptical about what we are now reading. It's a stumbling block for us. But kids, on the other hand, are like, talking donkey? Oh yeah, we've totally seen that before. All right, kids, there you go. Welcome to the sermon. I always figure if you can ever get Shrek in a sermon, it's a pretty good day. Now, I don't know if this was an impetus to create the Shrek character after Balaam's talking donkey. But for kids, they're like, okay, I can go with this. But for adults, we often kind of hit this stumbling block when we find that a donkey opens its mouth and starts talking. Here's just what I want to point out to us very sophisticated Westerners. The passage specifically says it was God who opened the donkey's mouth. And even though you probably haven't seen or heard of a talking donkey, I haven't seen that. Let's not limit 
what the God of the universe can do or will do to capture the attention of his people. Because at this point, apparently, it was the talking donkey that needed to speak wisdom and truth to the internationally renowned prophet. And it's bizarre and it's strange, yes, but you know what's even just as bizarre? Balaam starts talking back to the donkey like it's a normal everyday occurrence. Notice how it continues. Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If I only had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And now, of course, the donkey's got to talk back because the conversation's going to continue. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, Balaam, I would have certainly killed you by now. But I would have spared the donkey. And all of a sudden in this moment, Balaam is met with the reality that there's been a much bigger story that's been unfolding. And it is God using a talking donkey to get his attention and to oppose him on the reckless path that he was walking. It's fascinating when you look at a donkey because sometimes you get a spunky donkey like this one. Other times you get a donkey like this. That's got kind of this glazed look across its eyes and it's like it's secretly disclosing to you. There's not much going on between these ears. They're actually very intelligent animals. And the star of the show isn't the internationally renowned Balaam. It's a talking donkey. And the story is laced in irony. You have this internationally renowned seer who apparently is good with animals who can't control his own donkey. You have this infamous prophet who has some connection to the spiritual world, who can't even see the angel. Not once, not twice, not even three times. Then you have this male human being, this dude, and then get this. In Hebrew, hamor is a male donkey. Atone is a female donkey. The donkey in our story is a she-donkey. And the connection, the, the, the tension that is here is that you have this male human being versus this female donkey. And in our story, she is more perceptive than he. To which all the ladies in the room said, well, that's a real shocker, right? Ladies, just be patient with us. All right, we're not quite as perceptive as you all are. And you've got this story unfolding. 
And when you just step back from the storyline for a bit and you look on to it, the question that comes for me is this. Why did it come to this for Balaam? Why did God have to go through all these antics to get his attention? Uh, What was his issue, you could ask? If I had to submit an answer to you, I would simply say this. Balaam didn't like hearing no. God had already said the first time what to do. Balaam's like, I don't like your no. This is a a recent photo of my crew. Uh, My wife, Shallon, and I have been married for almost 17 years. Our oldest, Denyan, is 12. My daughter, Rye, is 10. Calix is eight, Zyler is five. And this is a fun and festive family. And this is something that happens quite a bit in our household. I have a home office and I'll be in the middle of doing something and one of my kiddos will come barging through my door and they'll go, hey dad, can I have some candy? Or hey dad, can I jump on technology? Or hey dad, can I, and fill in the blank. And whenever these questions come my way, as I have grown in my parental wisdom, I have found it is most effective not to answer their question, but to respond to their question in a rabbinic fashion, which is asking a question of my own. And it typically goes something like this. Have you already asked your mother the same question? And then I look at their eyes because their eyes will betray them quickly. Right? What is it about kids when they are given a no, they seek another parental opinion? They do this because they're little Balaams. Right? Balaam didn't like hearing no. Kids don't like hearing no. For those of you kids who are in the room right now and watching online... Listen, as a parent, we don't love saying no to you. But we say no because we love you. We say no because we see things that you don't see. Now granted, sometimes you've like taken us up to here and we just say no so that we can shut down the conversation. But more often than not, we're doing it because we love you. And you know, Balaam didn't like hearing no. Kids don't like hearing no. But we as adults, we don't like hearing no either. But there are these moments in our lives where God says no to us. Uh, Perhaps it's around something that we are engaging in that is not what God would want for our lives. And at least what I have found in my own personal journey as a follower of Jesus Christ is that there are times where I want to rationalize my behavior. And maybe you have found yourself doing this as well. Where maybe God has said no to you. Maybe you're doing something or it's the language that you use or something that you're engaging in. And it's like there are these moments where we want to rationalize our behavior and almost send a rebuttal God's way. And we'll say things like, well, you know, God, it's really not that bad. 
Or, well, that's just how I was raised. Or, well, that's just how things are done in our industry. And it's almost like we feel like if we can present God with this effective argument, there'll be a moment where God will go, you know what? You're totally right. Like, I didn't see that from all the different angles that you have highlighted. You're right. That is how you're raised, so it's acceptable. That is how your industry does things. That's acceptable. It's because we don't like hearing no. And yet God has a full picture of this situation. And just like as we as parents tell our kids no because we love them and we want them to thrive and there's certain things we see that they don't see that's the same way God is when he says no to something we're doing that isn't good because it's actually hindering us but our sinful nature gravitates toward it and God sometimes needs to do some kind of shock therapy to get our attention and he wants to know are you going to listen to my no and then there are other times and this is where it gets really challenging Okay, I, I, this is really difficult. Because there are times when God says no, and it's the very thing that you're engaging in is actually really good. It's a healthy and good thing. I'll give you an example. Uh, it was about almost 15 years ago or so. Um, a few years before that, I had graduated from college, got a business management degree, never thought I'd be doing what I am doing now. And did sports business for a few years. And then all of a sudden, this passion for understanding the Bible just started to sprout in my soul. And I came across some material from this very well-known guy here in the United States who had led more than or nearly 250 trips to Israel, to Turkey, to other Bible lands, had a best-selling DVD series that has been the best-selling DVD series ever for around understanding the Bible in context. And all of a sudden I was like, I got to get to Israel. I have to get on a trip. And so uh, I, I wrote a letter to this person, sent it off begging and pleading to be able to go because I found out that the waiting list was 10 years long to go with him. And I never thought I'd hear back. I mean, I knew this person was so busy, but I thought, hey, this is my only shot to get to go to Israel with this guy. So I sent it off, didn't hear anything, wasn't surprising. A year later, my phone rings. I had included my phone number on the letter. I pick it up. It's this guy that I've been listening to like every day for a year straight. It's kind of like that moment you hear a voice that you've only heard, but then you meet him. And it's like a little bit odd. And I'm listening to it. And he simply said, Israel, next month, I've got a spot for you and your wife. And I was like, dear God, you love me. And I said, all right, I'll talk to my wife and I'll call you back tomorrow. And it was the strangest thing because the moment I hung up, I felt like God said, you're going to tell him no tomorrow. I was like, what? I talked with my wife. There were some circumstances, but nothing that was, would inhibit us, if you will. And we would have to raise the money. They're, they're not, you know, it's not an inexpensive trip. We we're like, we'll raise it. We'll figure it out. We'll sell a car. We'll do whatever we can to go because it just felt like this is what God wanted. But in that moment, God said no. And I called him back the next day and I said, listen, I don't know what's going on, but 
no. I hung up the phone. I was like, that's it. I will never hear from this person again. Shocking to even hear in the first place. Six months later, I got an email from him. Hey, let's meet. We were actually in the same part of the state. And we sat down, my wife and I and him. And he said, tell me a little bit about your story. I told him what my story was and had left all of that, gone to seminary. I was in my first year of seminary. And he said to me, so do you still want to go on a trip? I said, oh, yeah. He said, how about three? What? He said, we'll talk about the third when the time is right. Let's talk about the first two. He says, in three months, I'm going to be doing a trip to Israel and I'm going to be doing a trip to Turkey. He says, I've led 250 trips and I've never let anyone go on both of my trips back to back because they're so intense. But you and your wife look like great guinea pigs. So how about if we cover 70% of your expenses to go, you raise the rest, and you come hang out with me for a month in the Middle East. Sometimes God says no to the good things because he has a better thing on the horizon. And we don't know what's coming down the pipe, but we serve a God who does. We don't like hearing no. And as a result, there's a flip side to this coin. We don't like saying no either. You know, for some of you, you might find yourself in a challenging business setting where maybe it is your industry's way of doing things, but you know it's shady, you know it's blurring the lines, or maybe a manager or a boss has asked you to do something that you know goes against your values, but you don't want to be labeled that Christian in our team who won't do that thing. And you struggle to say no. Uh, Maybe for some of you, you know, here's what I've found as a parent as my kids have gotten older, It's getting harder and harder to say no to the situations that are presenting themselves. As my kids are young, it's really easy to say no. No, Calix, you can't have hot dogs for every single meal of the day. But to my older son, Dinian, it's harder when he says, Hey, Dad, all of my friends are having a sleepover at this guy's house, and we don't know those parents very well. Or, hey, dad, I want a little bit more autonomy. Would you let me go with my friends to do this? And there are these moments where Shallon and I just talk about it or we pray about it. And if we just have the sense of no, it's hard to say no. Because you don't want to be that, like, controlling, restrictive parent that never lets your kid have any fun. And there are these moments that as your kids, at least for me, are getting into their teenage years, like, you don't want to be like that uncool parent, right? And it's harder to say no. Now, maybe for some of you, you're experiencing this in your marriage right now. Where there has been a conversation that has been tabled for far too long. Because you just don't want to upset the apple cart of your spouse or whoever you may be in a dating relationship with. And maybe what God is saying is, is it's time to say no. No to tabling the conversation any longer. We have to address this. We have to deal with this. We have to embrace a no. 
And maybe for some of you in the midst of this pandemic where you're going, all right, we're feeling more and more restricted. We're having to wear masks. We can't go and, you know, do certain things that maybe other opportunities are arising to have some fun and excitement that isn't God's best for you. And you're feeling your pressure, the pressure from your friends to jump in. And maybe God is just saying, you have to say no. For many of us, we think saying no is a sign of weakness. Actually, embracing a no is a sign of strength. Because there are times where we need to heed the no. And there are times where we have to use the words no. And so as you're just listening to this today, where are you not heeding no? Uh, Where do you need to say no? And maybe for some of you, the Holy Spirit has just invaded your story this morning and you know exactly what God may be calling you to do. Maybe for others of us, we go, ah, nothing's really popping for me. Great. Let me just offer something for you to do over the next few days. That over the next few days, just take a few moments in the morning or whenever you have a quiet time or when you're driving, you know, in your car, and just ask God these two questions. God, where am I not heeding no in my life? Or God, where have I been saying yes to something for too long and you're wanting me to say no to this thing? And just listen to how the Spirit of God may be speaking to you in those moments. And may you have the courage to then walk it out. Because we don't want to be Balaam's. We want to be people who follow God the way God is asking us to follow him because it is doing that where we experience life and life to the full. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the incredible opportunity to jump into a very, very bizarre story in the scriptures. God, we thank you that you have given us these stories to learn from. That from the mistakes of Balaam, God, that we can turn a different path. That we can move from maybe a reckless path that we're on to turn to a path that leads to life. And God, we ask that in the midst of this time and in the days to come, that you would just speak to us. That you would help us to see how we can become more faithful followers of you. That we would heed the no's that we need to heed. That we would say the no's that we need to say that we would fully embrace these two little words that can have a dramatic effect on our stories. God, we love you, we bless you, we thank you. And everybody said together, amen. 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 Hey, Brad, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just a couple of thoughts. One, if you're in the room and you're saying, hey, I I want a Bible. Like, I want to start to explore this book. Or if you're online... Um, you can click a button right there and we'll get you a Bible, we'll get that into your hands to help you start growing in your new life as you surrender to Jesus. There's also a table out here in the atrium called uh, a yes table. I've said yes. 
Uh, one thing I want to show you is this is a book that Brad wrote in. He's not, he, we ordered a bunch of copies. He's not making any money off of them. It's called Make Your Mark. I ordered this book a couple years ago, and I was really happy when I showed Brad that I had dog-eared and underlined. I, I, like, I engaged with the book. It's from the story of Samson, which is another, like, kind of wild story in the history of the judges. But it deals with real life, relationships, success and failure, grace, all those things. So there are a few available. I think we didn't get enough, and they were pretty much all gone. But you can get it on Amazon? Um, anywhere. Anywhere. Online. Yep. Anywhere. Kmart? Uh I don't know if we've made it into Kmart. Yet. I don't know if there Try are any Kmart's left. Yeah. Okay, there's no Kmart. I mean, there's no more Kmart. Don't go to Kmart. Uh, but anywhere else. And then also, I would love in your own journey that you could learn from Brad. And so we do have these at the Welcome Center back there. These are just a simple little card that gives his website. And every two weeks, he does a new teaching on Tuesdays. And there's now, boy, a whole library of probably dozens, hundreds of teachings. Over 100. Yeah. Over 100. And so it's walkingthetext.com. If you're online, you can just go to walkingthetext.com. And it's just a rich resource for all of us to be able to learn and study a little bit more. So Brad has a tradition, and I, I love it. He's going to say a blessing or a benediction over us. Brad? I'd love to invite you to please stand if you wouldn't mind. And for those of you who are watching online, feel free to stand wherever you find yourself, except if you're driving, all right? <laughs> and may we all leave here today with these words. My new friends here at Faith Chapel, may you not be a Balaam. May you embrace no. May you have the humility to hear it the strength to say it, and the courage to walk it out. Grace and peace be with all of you. You may go with God. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank